Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. We're really thrilled uh, to host uh, Bernard Tyson tonight. Uh, So let me tell you a little bit about his amazing business career. He is, uh, Bernard is the president and chief operating officer of Kaiser Permanente, the nation's largest not-for-profit health plan and health care provider with annual operating revenues in excess of $42 billion. Often referred to as the model for future health care, Kaiser Permanente serves more than 8.8 million members. Focuses on prevention and affordable health care, for members of communities it serves and uh, uses evidence-based medicine and has a big focus on industry-leading technology. And I think Bernard might mention a bit of the industry-leading technology here in a few moments. So Bernard oversees Kaiser's vast operations, including the Kaiser Foundation Hospitals and Kaiser Foundation Health Plans. Under his leadership is a workforce of 165,000 people. That's a big job. (laughs) Bernard and his team partners with the Permanente Medical Group to, discover, to, to de- deliver on its mission of high-quality health care. Bernard and Kaiser Permanente are transforming health care. This is driven by a philosophical belief that health care be safe, affordable, a- and accessible to everyone, and that the health care industry be held, in re- held responsible for its performance, especially in areas of quality, service, and accountability. Over his 30-year career, Bernard has developed a great understanding of the healthcare industry and the inner workings of Kaiser. For the past 26 years, he's served as a respected leader in all areas of Kaiser, from running individual hospitals to leading groundbreaking branding efforts that resulted in Kaiser Permanente's award-winning Thrive advertising campaign. Bernard's a strong proponent of inclusive leadership, something he'll be talking a bit more about tonight. He's an executive sponsor for Kaiser, Kaiser Permanente initiatives to eliminate disparities in health care and promote diversity in the workplace. His drive to cultivate and develop leadership is exemplified by the time he spends mentoring and counseling, promoting employees to leadership positions, and his team represents the best in healthcare management. Bernard has a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in business administration with a concentration in healthcare from Golden Gate University here in San Francisco. He also earned an advanced leadership certificate from Harvard Business School. Bernard serves as the chair and is on the board for the Executive Leadership Council, a leadership network and advocacy organization of African-American senior executives in the Fortune 500 companies. He's been recognized for his work both within and outside of healthcare. In 2010, he was named one of the most powerful leaders in healthcare by Modern Healthcare Magazine. Now, if you're interested in asking questions of Bernard later on this, this evening, we urge you to uh, wait until the end of his prepared remarks. He's got some fascinating uh, prepared remarks for you about the future of healthcare. So we urge you to uh, listen to that and then jot down uh, your questions on those cards on your seats. We'll collect those and have your questions uh, later on. Please join me in welcoming Bernard Tyson. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. Oh, wow. Good evening, everyone. (laughs) 
It's, uh, it's just uh, great, uh, great to be here. Thank you so much for that kind uh, introduction. Um, I have to tell you that, um, uh, number one, I'm honored to be here on this evening uh, with you. Uh, and so that's the real reason why I'm here. But in addition to that, um, I'm also here because uh, Linda uh, told me to be here. And so, um, um, you know, Linda has the hookup. Linda told me I'm to be here. And Linda and my wife are uh, dear friends. And so clearly when I started to hear my wife say, uh, so you're going to speak, huh? I, uh, <laughs> It was clear that um, it was going to happen. And so I'm uh, uh, really, really honored uh, to be here on, on this evening. Um, I uh, thank you for taking out the time to um, come on this evening. And I'm hoping that in the time that we spend together, um, we have a very engaging uh, dialogue and, and conversation. Um, I want to share with you uh, a couple of slides that I prepared um, that for me is uh, sort of uh, level setting. I uh, want to share um, some strong views that I hold um, about uh, the healthcare industry and um, where we need to go um, as, as an industry. Um, I do want you to know um, that as I share these strong views, in no way am I trying to um, indict or put down uh, the brilliant minds that work in healthcare all over this country. Uh, literally, we have fantastic doctors, nurses, and other caregivers that um, dedicate their lives to saving lives. So I do not want my comments to be interpreted as um, something is wrong with the people. Uh, but I assure you, uh, no different than a great pilot on an airline, if the pilot on the airline did not have all the systems and everything working, it doesn't matter how great that pilot is, there are going to be major problems on the airlines. And just think about all of us as we fly um, all over the world, most of the time, None of us have to take out the time to mentally think about, am I going to be safe on this airline? Because safety in the airline industry is so good now that that's an afterthought. Um, I'm going to share with you some slides that will demonstrate a case of why you should be concerned about the safety uh, in our hospitals, in our healthcare delivery system. So I want to start there, and I want to talk about um, 21st century uh, healthcare. And I, you know, I love to do this because, especially when I'm in a, um, a meeting or a room with competitors, and um, uh, I love to leave my competitors going, oh, there he goes again. Um, and so here, here I go again. So first of all, how many of you are Kaiser members? That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and for those of you who are not, we have papers for you to sign after you finish this program. But, you know, one of the big issues in the entire healthcare industry that I'm going to touch on is um, how to get uh, all Americans onto an electronic medical record. Um, you'll be amazed to know that the majority of the healthcare system is still paper driven. 
several years ago, Kaiser Permanente made a several billion dollar bet and we moved forward full speed ahead with getting all at the time uh, seven point something million members onto the electronic medical record. Uh, and so now we now have all nine million members up and running on our electronic medical records. And so while the rest of the industry is now trying to figure out how to get everybody on the electronic medical records, uh, we just on this week announced to our nine million members and to the world that at Kaiser Permanente, you can now, on an application by Kaiser Permanente, have everything that you need right here on your cell phone. So we're now in the apps business uh, with, with healthcare. And I, let me tell you how important that is, um, especially if you travel all over the country, all over the world. So you now can travel everywhere, and your medical records can go right along with you. And should you require any health care in any parts of the country, you can simply, assuming that you're conscious and you're able to put your password in, you can simply pull your record down that will help the health care system that you happen to be in to figure out what's going on with you uh, in a much rapid way. So that's the future uh, of, of health care. We believe that um, the future of healthcare is dependent on three major components. Quality, um, and I'll talk in a second a little bit about quality. Um, we judge quality in this country by um, quantity, and we judge it based on episodic care that is delivered. And our whole healthcare system is generally geared towards that. And we do a fantastic job uh, across the country. We have some of the best trauma centers that you will find anywhere um, in the world. Um, we have mastered open heart surgery. We have mastered brain surgery uh, in this country. So there are some fantastic things uh, that we do uh, in this country on a regular basis uh, as it pertains to quality. At the same time, in our hospitals across the country, uh, nearly 100,000 or so people die every single year who should not have died for some reason that has happened in the hospital. An infection, wrong drugs, uh, an accident, uh, you name it. So every single year in our hospitals across this country, over 100,000 innocent people die uh, who should not have. Uh, just think about if one airline fell out of the sky today, the entire country would be nervous. And if two fell out of the sky, I would argue with you that we will shut down the airline industry until we figure out and make sure that nothing else is going on. The 100,000 people every year in the healthcare system who die represents pretty much a full 757 dropping out of the sky every single day. So that's how dramatic uh, the set of issues are when you think about where we are in the healthcare industry. Um, accessibility, uh, right now, if you're not covered, if you do not have insurance, the uh, avenue that the majority of the people without healthcare go through is the ER, the most expensive place to end up getting care. Most of the time, it means that something that could have been handled well upstream has gotten worse. And when you land in the ER environment, it is geared 
to bring a lot of resources to bear to deal with the issue. The most expensive place to get episodic care when it's not really needed uh, in that uh, environment. What we're demonstrating at Kaiser Permanente that I'll touch on in a minute is that there are multiple ways to access care. Uh, we have, I guess, almost 20 million visits a year now that's done through electronic uh, interactions between the patient and our physicians uh, at uh, Kaiser Permanente. And then last but not least, we feel strongly that it must be um, affordable. So how big is the healthcare? And this is, uh, I'm gonna go through this pretty quickly so we all uh, end up on the same page. A lot of people make healthcare sounds very complex. I'm gonna simplify it for you, including healthcare reform with a couple of slides. And then after tonight, for those of you who's not been very much engaged in healthcare, you're gonna leave with a basic understanding of everything that you need to know about healthcare uh, after you leave here on tonight. So let's see how we do. First thing I want to tell you, it's a lot of money uh, in healthcare. So in the United States, we're spending about 2.7, almost $3 trillion uh, for healthcare in this country. Now, why is this chart significant? Uh, a couple of th takeaway messages that um, I want to offer to you. Uh, we're spending about forty-five dollars or $5,000 per capita on uh, every American in this country. Uh, and for that, uh, our death rates in this country, the life expectancy of an American is about 76 or so years, um, which is a little better than Cuba, uh, who is spending less than $1,000 per uh, uh, Cuban uh, of capita. We're spending a lot of money doing a lot of things in the healthcare industry, and for that, we have some of the best, I mean, the worst results about some of the key measures around the world, and life expectancy is one of the big ones. Uh, and so this chart is demonstrating to you a real fundamental question of around what is the money being spent on, and do we, in fact, have real evidence to show that as a result of what we are spending, People are living longer and living higher quality lives. And there are lots of arguments going on around the world that says, no, we're not. Um, because for the end results that we are getting uh, in the country, one has to question how the dollars are being used and whether or not they are delivering the anticipated results that we all want to see. In terms of spending, I, I would draw an argument that that's not the issue uh, in, in this country. We spend more on health care than the total economies of all but five countries, including the United States of America. That's how great the spend is on health care in the United States. It's greater than the economies of all economies with the, around the world with the exception of five economies that I've listed here, including the United States, China, Japan, India, and Germany. There's a lot of waste in the system. Um, we uh, have, from many studies across the country, concluded that there's upwards of $800 billion a year um, that we spend on health care that is considered to be extra money that is spent in the healthcare system that is not bringing real value 
to improving health. Um, redundant tests, uh, mistakes, uh, people going into the hospital for one illness and ending up getting another illness while they're in the hospital, costing us more money, costing the country more money. Um, paper records in which tests are redone because the information was not available uh, when the provider needed the coverage. Um, protection medicine, where tests are being ordered strictly and solely to make sure that we could check out in the, in the healthcare industry, we could check the box that we did this, so should there be any legal action taken, we can demonstrate that we provided, quote, community practice, which means that we did additional tests uh, in the system. So I argue all over the country there's no such thing as not having enough money in the healthcare system. What we got to do in the country is figure out how to be more efficient in the provision of, of healthcare. This chart is to give you a picture of who's covered and how they're covered uh, across the country. A lot of time, people don't really understand how coverage is provided to the American people across the country. Uh, still, in 2012, the vast majority of the American people are covered by employers. And right now, that stands at about 161 million uh, Americans. About 42 million Americans and 42 million Americans are covered through uh, state and federal program. And it just happened to be around the same number. 42 million are covered through the Medicare program, and 42 million Americans are covered through Medicaid and uh, CHIP uh, programs around the country. Another 11 million members are covered by individual coverage. And then the big 47 million is what healthcare is all about, healthcare reform is all about. The 47, now the estimate is roughly about 50, 51 million Americans who have no coverage. And the Obamacare, the uh, uh, healthcare reform is intended to provide coverage uh, for the 40 uh, plus million Americans who are without um, coverage. How's the healthcare dollars spent? Um, about 25% of the dollars are spent for acute care, and about 75% of the dollars are spent for chronic care. Uh, people with illnesses, uh, diabetes, uh, heart disease, cancer. 25% um, is spent for episodic care, um, care in the moment, uh, those kinds of, of things. Another way of looking at this is the distribution of care. Uh, two numbers that I want you to keep in your head to make it simple. About 80% of all of the dollars that are spent in healthcare is to take care of about 20% of the population. So about 20% of the population is occupying about 80% of the dollars. Um, in that 80% of the dollars is being spent on everything from uh, heart surgery to diabetes management, you name it, but it is generally for the segment of our population who is dealing with chronic illnesses, with end-of-life care, uh, and the many issues that we have going on uh, in, our, uh, in our country. And so the distribution of the care dollars is, in fact, what we call an unequal distribution of care, with the vast majority of the dollars being spent in episodic manner and being spent towards the latter years of an individual life. 
that 1% of our population, and those are the ones at the end stages of life, is in fact where the vast majority of the dollars are actually spent. Um, generally across the country, uh, most of the dollars are spent in the last year of a person's life uh, in the United States. Um, we had uh, Newt Gingrich at our board meeting one year, and he made an observation to our board. He said, there are two things that the American people don't want to do. They don't want to pay taxes, and they don't want to die. And <laughs> now, don't ask me. Uh, um, but but his, his, his point is, um, this country and, and the healthcare system is geared to do everything possible to keep you alive as long as possible. And as a result of that, um, a lot of dollars are spent in the last year um, of a person's uh, life. Um, as I started, as we call it, disconnected care is incomplete care. So the idea that in the 21st century, with artificial intelligence like we have now with technology, the idea that someone is working on people without the benefit of that technology, um, I, I think we've demonstrated in this country is a dangerous proposition uh, to the American people. Uh, just imagine you going into your bank, asking them for the balance in your checking or saving account, and they pull out a big paper record and try to figure out what your balance is. Well, in the healthcare system across this country, that's the equivalent of what is going on. Through paper record, we're trying to make critical health decisions about a person's uh, life. The second thing that we, um, I want to highlight in this is that the fee schedule that we use in this country uh, that is being used for 80 to 90 percent of how people are being paid in the healthcare industry is a reverse incentive system. We believe strongly that that needs to be revamped. And it's volume that produces the dollars. And we think that is the wrong way uh, to fund and set up the financial system in the healthcare industry for providing care. And so the more tests you do, the more money you get. Uh, and in Kaiser Permanente, an empty bed is just an expense. In the outside world, an empty bed is lost revenue. And so the incentive is to fill the beds. The incentive in Kaiser Permanente is to pick the right location for a person to get care because there are no disincentives for the physician to pick one setting versus the other setting. And if a revenue system is forcing a set of volume, a volume set, to achieve a financial outcome, I don't care how ethical you are, how good you are, you will make eventually choices to feed the revenue stream. We feel that's unfair to put people in that position in the healthcare profession and we're advocating strongly that we need to reverse the fee schedule system. So let me say a minute about, uh, uh, as we call it, the Obamacare, and um, just touch on that right quick for you. Um, basically, um, Kaiser Permanente has had uh, uh, an advocacy position on health care reform uh, for many years, and so we didn't start this uh, when President Obama uh, got into office. We believe there should be universal coverage for the reasons I stated uh, in the beginning. 
Um, we believe that there must be reform in the entire industry through what we call market reform. And we think that there are two critical elements and a third one that must happen uh, if we're going to truly reform healthcare uh, in this country. Uh, insurance reform, which is the payment reform that we need to revise as I touched on, but also the delivery system reform. Uh, rebuilding, recrafting, how we provide care uh, in this country, we believe must be reformed if we're going to get to the economic value proposition that we all want to see around affordable care that's high quality care that's adding value to people's lives every single day. And then last but not least, we also believe in community health reform. That um, no health care organization can be all and do all. There must be a community set of resources working with building thriving communities that has to be a part of the whole reform uh, in, our, in our country. Um, we take care of almost a million uh, African Americans, for example, uh, across the country. Uh, and we believe strongly that healthy eating leads to healthy lives. Um, but if in many of our communities of color, uh, grocery stores are no longer there. That is a community issue that we have to deal with. And, and so we believe strongly it's not enough just to say, I will deal with the issues when you come inside of my healthcare system. We believe healthcare also reaches uh, into the communities, uh, and in particular in the communities of color, where in many cases a lot of the infrastructures uh, are lacking. The key elements of the reform and the legislation that I think everyone knows about it, so I'll go very quickly, is that everyone has coverage is one of the key principles, that consumers have choice, and that's why you've heard President Obama talk a lot about creating market dynamics where people are left with making choice, choices, which as you know is the American way. We love choices, uh, and so we get it. There's got to be choice uh, in this. That health uh, providers uh, compete on quality, uh, and in the legislation, there are financial incentives that pay for uh, high quality. Uh, one of them that we just recently uh, nailed inside of Kaiser Permanente is the Medicare five-star program. Five of our eight regions are five stars. Five of our eight regions are five stars. The other three are four and a half stars. Um, top of the class across the country. Top of the class across the country. Um, I'm not running out of words to say, I just love saying that. Top of the class <laughs> across the country. Um, and so we've demonstrated to the entire industry that it's possible. And for the ones who are at four and a half, they know exactly what they need to do to get to five. Now, why are we able to do that? Uh, because we have the artificial intelligence that um, supports brilliant people at Kaiser Permanente that we can nail and figure out what we need to do to improve upon quality uh, inside of our organization. And that the care delivery system is rewarded um, for performance. And we believe very strongly in uh, performance and that rewards are given that reinforces um, how organizations and how key providers uh, should be performing. The mandates and the um, uh, components of the reform are these. Uh, one is the individual mandate and the employer mandate that everyone must have coverage. 
uh, if you will, and that the employers ultimately will pay or play, and that um, the idea here is to not to create a dynamic where I don't uh, uh, buy coverage uh, for myself until I get sick. Uh, and, and so the, the notion is uh, ultimately in the healthcare industry for that 20% who's occupying 80%, you have to have a risk-adjusted funding mechanism to make sure that the finances can cover everyone over time. And so if, uh, just think about it with car insurance, if I didn't have to pay car insurance until I had a wreck, and then after I have a wreck, while I'm sitting there waiting on the police, I call up Allstate and say, hi, I would like to have coverage now. That's a, a vicious cycle that ultimately will tear down the entire system. So the idea is, is to figure out in the right way what are the mandates. Uh, guaranteed issue, which speaks to making sure that everyone has coverage and also making sure that pre-existing conditions are um, a day of the past. Um, we feel great about that um, pre-existing condition that should be eliminated. Um, in that big number that I showed you earlier on that chart, only about 3% of the, of the American population uh, even falls into that category of a pre-existing condition, and it's generally in the individual um, area. So if you're an individual and you have, pick anything, heart disease, and you apply for individual coverage, you will not make it through the matrix, if you will, to get that coverage. If you're that same individual who happens to be working for um, pick a company and you're part of group coverage, we don't even ask you about um, going through that kind of screen. You're just a part of the mix, and then we risk adjust uh, over time. So we're very pleased about that part of the mandate. Uh, that there will be health insurance exchanges, which creates a competitive environment. Um, there will be expansion of the Medicaid program, uh, accountable care organizations, and then the star qualities um, that I uh, touched on. So now let me go to a model for the future. So I, I hope that I've at least given you a case that um, with all the great things that we're doing in the healthcare system, there's a lot to be desired. There's a lot lacking, and I believe strongly um, we can do better uh, in, this, in this country. So the model for the future is that we think that we can get there in, a se in several years if re-engineer re care, make care safer, connect the care, especially with technology, reprice care, computerize care data, and then regulate the key pieces that really are necessary uh, in the healthcare um, industry. We have promoted across the country, we're not working from a theory, we're actually doing that inside of Kaiser Permanente. And we're big enough to serve as a case study for the rest of the country. Um, I'm happy to say uh, uh, that this chart is old. Uh, we now have over 9 million members, uh, thanks to a great uh, uh, enrollment in January. Uh, so we're proud to say that we now have achieved the 9 million mark in which we have 9 million uh, people who are putting their trust in the care system of Kaiser Permanente. Um, over 16,000 physicians, over 172 employees now, and we serve in nine states in the District of Columbia. We have 37 hospitals, uh, over 600 uh, medical offices across the country. Uh, we have about 60 million square feet of office and hospital space around the country now, uh, and $45 billion in this year will exceed 
um, $50 billion. We bring all these resources together to carry out our mission. And at the end of the day, our mission is to provide the highest quality uh, care possible that's affordable to millions of Americans who need it. The DNA of Kaiser Permanente goes all the way back to um, our forefathers, uh, in particular uh, Henry J. Kaiser, who ultimately, as I think you know, um, went on to create hundreds of companies and do, to do amazing things around the country. Um, but uh, a story that I like to share all the time inside of our organization and around the country is that uh, Henry J. Kaiser's uh, mother died when he was young. And she died because they were poor. And he held to a belief that she did not have the same access to care uh, because of her and the family's financial situation. And so as he grew uh, older and had a lot of money, he ultimately dedicated what is today Kaiser Permanente. He helped to set up the organization on the principles of making care as high of a quality as possible, but as affordable as possible for millions of people who otherwise um, wouldn't get to care. And 60 plus years later, we're still trying to live out that mission of providing the highest quality care and making it as affordable uh, as absolutely uh, possible. The advantages of our organization that's studied around the world is that we're vertically integrated. We own and operate all the major pieces. So when I made that statement uh, earlier, um, we don't put our physicians in a financial situation where they are picking one versus the other. They get to manage the entire continuum. So if a patient needs to be in the hospital, there are no disincentives for them not to put that patient uh, in the hospital. If the patient needs to be at home or providing home care or sniff care, they are authorized to make whatever decision they feel is appropriate in the vertical integrated um, system. We are a prepaid system. We get almost 90 cents on the dollar in the form of prepayment, which means there's a steady income stream for us to make long-term investments in the people who entrust their care in Kaiser Permanente. We're focused on prevention as well as acute care, chronic disease management. Um, when I created with the organization with a wonderful team, the Thrive Campaign, we created the Thrive Campaign, it was nothing more than telling the story of what we do every day and the DNA of Kaiser Permanente, which is we try to help people to live as healthy of a life at no matter what stage of life that they're in. That we are technology enabled. Um, we are one of the healthcare uh, organizations in this country that is leading in the market in how much we invest in technology to enable us to do the things that we have to do. And that our total health brand is that we view health as being a very much an inclusive uh, process uh, for the people that we care for, for the communities in which we exist, and to help people to thrive. Uh, it is as important to me that a Kaiser Permanente member thinks about Kaiser Permanente when he or she is in the grocery store as it is for when they're in the um, medical office building. Because what I want you to think about when you go in the grocery store is that when you look at that donut that I look at every time I go in there, <laughs> that you say to yourself, oh, that's not thriving. I better get this apple or I better get this banana. Um, most of the time I get the banana or the apple. But I have been known to leave with the donut a couple of times. 
Um, but that's what that is, is all about. We have now, um, thanks to the investments that we have in technology, we have what we call the connected care. Um, we have 11 million going on, 20 million emails that are sent to providers um, from our members. We had 62 million sign-ons to kp.org last year where people are looking up information, getting information, interacting with the organization. 26 lab tests were reviewed uh, online. 132 million prescriptions were checked for drug-to-drug level. So inside of the system, we're cross-checking all of our drugs now to make sure no adverse actions would happen. Um, we have 100% of our patients with targeted uh, chronic conditions in registries, and they're now being tracked thanks to the technology uh, in our organization. We can make those investments because also our members stay with us longer than any of our competitors uh, in the marketplace. And so having a member stay with Kaiser Permanente on average about 15 years or so allows us to make those kinds of investments that help them to thrive uh, in, the, in the long haul. We enjoy now the connectivity uh, benefits that uh, care and access to care should be real time and it should be whenever and whenever and wherever you need it. Um, one of the campaigns that you're going to see pretty soon is we're going to start to redefine what a waiting room really is. And our vision of a waiting room is anywhere around the world. And so you can be in your waiting room on the beach with your computer or now with your iPhone waiting to interact with your physician and not stuck in an office waiting if that's not necessary. Um, we're able to manage populations now. We have a project going in Ohio where uh, physicians go inside of the electronic medical records and pull up any of our patients who are suffering from diabetes and their blood sugar level is at a, a certain level and they haven't been seen over a certain period of time. As we are completing the implementation of our new uh, outpatient pharmacy system, we'll be able to track when we give you medicine and we give you a 30-day supply, and 40 days later you haven't refilled. There's a signal that would go up to say, please check out Bernard, make sure he's okay. He's not taking his medicine, at least according to our technology. So the ability now to help people to thrive with the technology-enabled systems that we have is a great demonstration of what's possible in healthcare. And now we have one of the biggest electronic medical libraries in the world that is not only being tapped every single day by the providers of Kaiser Permanente, we now have providers outside of Kaiser Permanente that's tapping into our uh, uh, intellectual capital to learn the latest techniques and the latest ways of taking care of millions of people um, across the country. We're proud that uh, we have uh, even received a great endorsement for President uh, Obama. Uh, we were waiting on this, and finally he said something. Uh, he's been a big, he's been a big, a big supporter uh, of Kaiser Permanente as a an example of what's possible in healthcare uh, in this country. Uh, and he's, uh, in fact, uh, tapped into some of our. Uh, resources in terms of uh, providing uh, uh, help and assistance. Our chairman and CEO spends a lot of time in Washington, D.C. with um, the Obama administration uh, helping to serve as a, a sounding board and uh, uh, someone who can help 
uh, make a difference uh, uh, in, this, uh, in this country. Uh, I was honored to be invited uh, by the president and Valerie Jarrett, along with the ELC uh, board and some of our members, uh, to the White House a couple of weeks ago. And uh, that invitation came from the president of the United States and others. Uh, and we had a fantastic time at the White House um, meeting with his staff and with him uh, personally. And so he's engaged in health care amongst the many issues, uh, and we believe that um, he's on the right track and we're on the right track, even with the complexities of figuring out how to make this thing work for all Americans. There are a lot of people um, making it happen. So what do you get for all of this? Um, and, and what we're able to demonstrate solidly uh, inside of Kaiser Permanente for the rest of the country, 60% fewer heart attacks. We have the highest screening and early detection for things like breast cancer, for cancer colon. Um, we work very hard on the prevention side. We put a lot of resources on early detection because we know to invest upstream not only helps the person to live a healthier life, it is actually more efficient and instead of waiting until, until the person gets to a chronic stage and then we uh, apply uh, all the resources. We have fewer uh, asthma complications. Um, we have the best in the nation around the comprehensive diabetes care. Uh, we have all of our diabetics in Kaiser Permanente and registries, and we have programs that we um, uh, provide our members across the country. Uh, we have the broken bones program that has reduced in the areas that we have implemented. Uh, broken bones of our seniors by almost 50% now. Um, and so we are very pleased with the outcomes that you're seeing. Uh, 16 of, of, of 53 uh, leapfrog top hospitals ratings, uh, NCQA, um, and we received the J.D. Powers and Associate um, highest, rate, highest rated um, award. This is to give you an example of some of the external awards that we received at Kaiser Permanente and it's all centered around working hard every single day to try to figure out how to improve care and how to improve um, quality. And then the last thing I want to touch on is this commitment to affordability. Uh, and I want you to know we feel strongly, um, strongly, that as we uh, learn more from other industries, uh, as we bring more technology uh, into the healthcare environment, uh, we can drive up quality and we can drive down cost. So we are demonstrating at Kaiser Permanente with a consistent expense trend that is better than the marketplace that you can, in fact, do that. Uh, and our goal is to ultimately uh, continue to provide below market premiums that not only serves our members and our purchasers well, it also challenges the rest of the healthcare industry to figure out how to become more efficient to provide appropriate care. Thank you very much for listening to these remarks, and I look forward to the dialogue. I'd like to pick up on a couple of points okay. that you made to, uh, to, um, and pose a couple questions to you. And uh, may I invite you now to uh, think about your questions. So in a few minutes after... Uh, Bernard and I have a, have a dialogue here about uh, my questions, and we'll look to your questions. So we look forward to those. So, uh, Bernard, let me start uh, by picking up on, on one of the points you made in um, 
the slide you had on affordability. You said that Kaiser Permanente had learned a lot from other industries and had applied a lot of lessons, for example, in information technology and so on. So let me um, uh, drill down a little bit more on, on that issue. So love to have your thoughts on, on what, is, what does healthcare still need to learn from other industries and what has healthcare taught other industries as well? So yeah, please. yeah, great question. Um, I think uh, uh, just a couple of, uh, of examples, and I actually touched on one of them. Um, we study the airline industry uh, in ways like you can't believe. In fact, one of our board members is a pilot on the, uh, in, in the airline industry. He, opened, he also happens to be uh, the grandson of uh, Henry J. Kaiser. Um, so we, uh, we're, we're blessed to have a pilot, and he happens to have the last name of Kaiser. Uh, so when he speaks at both levels, we listen. Um, but, but why the airline industry? Because the planes are so safe. Uh, in this country, and that didn't happen by accident, if you will. And so for Kaiser Permanente, it has been very important for us to learn what the discipline and the techniques are uh, in the airline industry to produce the results that they produce. And the complexity is just like a pilot who is well-trained, you have a physician who is well-trained. And so how much of the physician's skills do you want to be in the moment versus how much of the skills should be a planned and, and thought through. So we have a program that we implemented across Kaiser Permanente that is that was taken directly from the airline industry. You might notice before you fly, there's a checklist that the pilots and the team goes through before they ever lift the plane into the air. So now, in all of our operating rooms, before we cut, as we call it, before we start the incision, there's a stop and there's a making sure that everything is correct. Um, why do we do that? Because we want to make sure there are no wrong side surgeries at Kaiser Permanente. Um, it is very common uh, in surgeries around the country that when you're doing a surgery, you're using a lot of instruments and a lot of cotton and stuff like that. It is not uncommon in the industry that, uh, as we call it, foreign objects are left inside of you. Mm. And so we have a countdown. We have a countdown before we ever start a surgery, and we have a countdown before we ever close the patient up. And that's to make sure that every single thing is accounted for before we end up uh, closing the patient. We learn that directly from the, um, from the airline industry. We learn from the banking industry how important real-time information is, not only for the sake of accuracy, but also for um, confidentiality. One of the biggest mm -hmm. concerns that everyone has in this country around electronic medical records is will my information uh, get shared across the, um, to people who should not have it? At Kaiser Permanente, if you happen to be a high-profile individual or you simply request it, we have what we call a break the glass. And we got that from the other industry. Mm -hmm. And so if someone um, is about to open my medical record, they will get a big warning saying, are you really the person who's supposed to open up this record? And if they are, they can proceed to what we call break the glass. If they're not, then um, once they open it, there's an electronic fingerprint that happens. So that's our way of keeping track to make sure that only the right people are getting um, the right care. I have to tell you a funny story right quick. I was in San Francisco 
and I was about to go through that procedure that you get when you turn 50. <laughs> which, which one? <laughs> oh, it was a beautiful day. And, um, and there was a gentleman who was uh, helping me in the admission department, and he had been with Kaiser Permanente all, almost 40 years. And he, uh, he uh, was proceeding, and he saw the break the glass, and he's never seen this. And he said, what is this? And I said, oh, it's nothing. You can go ahead and break the glass. And he said, um, he said, no, what is this? I've never seen this before. And I said, it was just a procedure to make sure that you should open my record. But you should feel free to go ahead and do it. He said, no, I refuse to break the glass. And I said, no. I said, you can really break the glass. He said, Mr. Tyson, I have been here almost 40 years. I'm about to retire. I'm not going to get fired doing something I'm not supposed to do. So we do have that problem to kind of work through if someone fears uh, breaking the, breaking the glass. Slightly overcompliant. <laughs> I think what the, what the other industries can work can learn from the healthcare industry is how to deal with crisis management. Mm-hmm. When it comes to crisis management, mm-hmm. you will not find mm-hmm. uh, a better industry. In, well, maybe the, the Air Force and, mm-hmm. and the uh, Navy SEALs sure, now right, and right. The military. But in terms of healthcare, meaning when a patient, for example, appears in a, an emergency department, by and large, anywhere across the country, the protocols that are in place to make rapid decisions to save a life, uh, if you, hopefully you've never had to personally experience, but if you've seen it, you will be so impressed um, when you see a patient coming in who by all accounts should be dead mm-hmm. and it's because of the fast action of the delivery system, they end up walking out. Mm-hmm. That's a great demonstration of being able to take very quick mm-hmm. actions mm-hmm. that many other industries, I think, can continue to learn from the healthcare industry. You know, I want to emphasize and reinforce what Bernard is saying here. And um, it comes back to the importance of business education and an MBA. So one of the, thing, one of the great things of an MBA is that it is a broad degree, right? It is a degree that uses case studies from airlines, from healthcare, from IT, from biotech, and so on. And so you learn to see how to manage, how to lead, how to organize across a variety of of industries. And what I'm hearing from Bernard is that they have used a lot of information from other industries to apply and refine their ability to run first-class healthcare. And so I can't help but, but, but use this as a way to reinforce the importance of a broad business education. And, um, and this is often an argument I make to physicians. So some physicians, and they say, well, I'm thinking about getting an, getting an MBA or a master's degree in healthcare administration. I say, absolutely, you want to get an MBA yeah. because that is going to expose you to other industries and other dynamics, um, other lessons learned from other industries that you would not get if you're only studying healthcare. And apparently, Kaiser is a great example of taking those lessons from other industries and applying them to healthcare. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I think with the, uh, uh, the the MBA, the great investments that you all have made, and this isn't a commercial. We didn't No, we rehearse didn't rehearse this. this at all. We didn't rehearse this. <laughs> you know, um, a good MBA from colleges like this, as you know, um, it teaches you how to think. And, and so what is important, especially in leadership, that, that, um, that we look for is how well can a person think and how well can a person answer questions and distill information to draw some conclusions. And the ones who are really good at that 
um, are the ones that you see continue to grow in expanded responsibilities. Mm. And, and that's a way of thinking, that mm. I can go into any industry, and I don't need to know about the industry, but I need to know how to ask questions. Right. And I need to know how to distill information, and I need to know how to draw conclusions. Mm. And so we didn't study everything in the airline industry, and I don't know how to fly a plane um, and wouldn't want to. Um, but I do know how to ask certain questions to figure out how they get that plane up there safely every time and the set of protocols that they use to bring it down. And that's a yeah. great takeaway. Yeah. Okay, so for all of you who aspire to get a job at Kaiser Permanente, you just got a tip about what to do in the interview, right? So you just, <laughs> he just told you how to approach the interview, so very, very important. So I'll ask just one more question, Bernard, and then we'll, we'll look forward to the questions from, the, uh, from our guests. But I, 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 I have to ask you about, about leadership. So our, our, our students think a lot about leadership. Our school emphasizes a concept called values-based leadership, which emphasizes ethics and integrity and trust building and, um, and so on. And so could I ask you just to reflect for a few minutes about lessons learned, um, uh, from your leadership roles, and what, what would you say to young people who are uh, earlier in their career and, and aspire to have a career path that, that you have had? Um, a, couple of, a couple of thoughts. The, the, um, the first one is that you should immediately view yourself as your own corporation. Uh, I call it you incorporated. Mm -hmm. And that in you incorporated, you should be thinking every single day how you are managing your personal brand. Because people are drawing conclusions about you every single day, mm -hmm. every single interaction. Mm -hmm. Some of you looked at me in the first minute and you drew a conclusion about who you think I am. You might be wrong, but it doesn't matter. It's your perception of your reality of who I am. Mm -hmm. People are looking at you every single day, especially in leadership and they're drawing conclusions about you based on your personal brand. Over time, you, you build a reputation, and people will draw conclusions based on what they believe the reputation is. So I start with telling people, especially you, um, think about your brand on a daily basis, how you present yourself, how you treat people, how you perceive what people might conclude about who you are, uh, not necessarily what you do. So there are brilliant people in what they do, but they may have a bad brand reputation of who they are. So I, I give you that. The, the second thing is, um, and you know, I went to, is it Sam Ramon? I went mm -hmm. somewhere Sam and I Ramon. spoke to a group. Yes. And, and so if you, some of you might have been there, and I apologize for repeating it, but I use it for every single executive who um, reports to me and work with me. And, and it's what I call a very complicated model. It's called the um, head, heart, and guts. I assess every single leader on those three dimensions mm -hmm. because all three of those dimensions are critical in leadership. So just right quick, head is things like you would know already. Um, how well can the person think? Mm -hmm. How well can the person handle data? Is the person a decision maker? How rational of a thinking is the individual? Um, it's those kind of heady things that you would expect uh, for someone in a, in a senior position. Um, heart is uh, all about interpersonal skills. Um, how well does a person demonstrate empathy 
and being able to walk a mile in another's shoe. How well, as I call it, how well does a person keep the other people whole in the interactions that they have every single day? So when people who work with me get up in the morning, do they get energized that I'm about to go to work and I'm going to spend a day with Bernard? He's going to challenge me. He's going to do all these ridiculous things. And I'm going to go home looking forward to coming back to work tomorrow. Or do I get up in the morning going, oh, hell, I'm alive another day. I got to go deal with Bernard. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I hope none of my team is answering that question. Um, so heart is that. And then gut is, um, you know, what do you stand for? Who are you? What's your compass, your value compass? Mm-hmm. Why that's important? Because I have leaders making decisions every single day that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And if I evaluate some of those decisions that I've had, I would have made a different decision. But because I understand the value compass of the individual, I'm not questioning intent, even when I disagree with the final decision. Mm-hmm. But if you have someone that is working from a whole different compass system, then you are the organization aspired to. It's a mismatch for the organization. And those are the three dimensions that I look at um, for um, leadership. The last thing is um, there's a clear difference in my mind between leading and managing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do both, but I mainly lead. And I'm managing stuff today that I led five and seven years ago, meaning I made bets as a leader five or seven years ago that I'm managing today. I'm making certain decisions or helping to facilitate certain decisions today that will not come true for another three to five years. Um, And so leaders lead, uh, and that comes with a great responsibility and a great burden. And managers manage and, and get it done. And to use a metaphor, leaders, if you will, write the policies and managers carry them out. And everyone should be clear when you're doing one um, versus the other. Well, Bernard, we could go all night long and, and listen to you and uh, hear your reflections, and, and, uh, but we want to be mindful of the time and really, really grateful for your, your insights. And I'm, I'm encouraged, I'm reassured, and in, in you and your colleagues at Kaiser Permanente are actually giving us hope that healthcare can be done well. It can be done in, a, in an effective and efficient way, and, and it, you all are really a beacon of hope for the future of healthcare. So, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We're really delighted. To uh, have thank you. you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.